Friday, uh, our family went to Disneyland, and at the end of the day, I had such a good day. It was just really a lot of fun, and there's a couple of new rides that we'd gone on and that we just had a great time with. And I was walking away at the end of the day, and I was thinking, you know, this is really a fun day. I really had a great time. You know, places like Disneyland are fun. And then another thought came into my head. I said, you know, church on Sunday is like that for me. I don't know if it's like that for you. I don't know if you feel like this is a roller coaster ride or not. <laughs> Maybe I should make more mistakes, and then you're like all nervous going up and down, right? But I thought, you know, I love being with God's people, and I love singing praise to God, and I love being filled with God's spirit and with God's love, and I, I love understanding God's word and, and knowing my purpose and, and feeling like God is working in and through me. So as we come here this morning, as we come to this time, I, I hope that you kind of think this is Disneyland, right? This is a good time. This is a lot of fun. And so let us enjoy that together. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for how you work in and through our lives. Thank you how for how your, your scripture, Lord, touches us and teaches us and guides us and, and, and makes things more understandable, Lord. We ask your blessing in this time. In the name of Christ. Amen. I've met, uh, read many biographies. Uh, a couple that I've really enjoyed along the way are uh, the Joe DiMaggio story. If you don't know Joe DiMaggio, he's one of the great Yankee players, New York Yankees baseball team. And uh, he was a great player. Great, great story about him. And then not too long ago, I just finished a biography on Martin Luther. And Martin Luther is credited with starting the Reformation, uh, allowing the, the, um, the Bible to be translated into the language of the people so that people could actually read the Bible. We have Martin Luther and, of course, Gutenberg, who did the Gutenberg Press, right, to print, do all the printing. But we can read the Bible now. We can read the Bible. Biographies are fun because you get to learn about the story about people. You know, your story and my story is important as well. Over the next nine months, we're going to be looking at the story. We're going to be looking at this amazing story. It's, it's kind of the Bible in condensed form, right? It's taking some of the periphery parts of it. Maybe some people say the boring parts, right? It's kind of condensing it so that we can see that there is a story about God, about God and his people who he created, who he created to be in relationship with. He loves his people. He sacrificed himself for his people so that we could be saved from the terrible effects of sin. It's a story of a God who is as much alive today as he has ever been, as powerful and at work as much today as he has ever been. It's a story of the plan of God for his people. As we look at this story, as we look at the words of the Bible, we're going to see what it says about what God's story really is and how your story and my story fit into God's story. We're going to see how this all works together. We're going to think about discipleship as well. Now, if you think about discipleship as bringing people to coming to know God, right? So Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations. Bring people to me so that I might be able to be in relationship with them. And then once they come to me, that's kind of evangelism, but discipleship then is then you walk with them to help them grow in their faith, to help them grow in their relationship to God, that they grow in a deeper relationship with God. You walk with them so that they can understand their relationship in this world 
and who God is and what God wants to do with and through their lives. Now, this story that we're going to read opens the door to God's truth and the freedom that we have from our sinful desires. It also is about hoping in the one who not only created all things, but has redeemed us from our sinfulness so that we could truly live in freedom and do the works that God created us to do. Now, in any good story, there's conflict, right? There's conflict between good and evil. And we're going to see this conflict that's going on in the Bible and how conflict of good and evil is happening. You know, one of my favorite movie series is The Lord of the Rings. And it's really a story of good and evil, isn't it? It's a story about how a simple hobbit, through determination and the help of others, brings salvation to the people of the earth. And as I think of the story and our, and our place in the story, I think that we're just kind of simple, ordinary people. But we're simple and ordinary people filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the power of God, and God does great and wonderful works in and through your life and my life because of our trusting in God. See, the goal of the story is to not only have head knowledge, right? It's not just about reading it through and say, oh, I made it all the way through. I know everything about the Bible now. No, it's not about head knowledge. It's not about just being able to quote scriptures. Oh, let me tell you this scripture and this scripture and this scripture. It's about taking that head knowledge and making it heart knowledge. It's about understanding it to the point to where it becomes alive in your life. It becomes meaningful. It changes you and transforms you and actually makes a difference in your life. The story is about personalizing this great story of God and his people and see how our lives fit into the story as the story goes along and unfolds. As we learn about redemption and glory, we truly begin to live as God intended us to live and walk as God intended for us to walk. We will see from chapter to chapter, from Adam and Eve to Abraham to David to Isaiah to John the Baptist, to Paul, as we see all these characters, we see that always the main character is God. Always the main character is God. But we are important characters in this story as well. We need to not lose that, right? This is why we must put it together to see how we fit into that overall story. So each week, I encourage you to read the chapter that I'm going to be preaching on so that you have kind of an understanding of the, the scriptures before we come. So hopefully you read chapter one this week. If not, that's okay. You can, or last week. And if not, you can read it this week. And then also hopefully read chapter two. We are going to take a break in October for missions a month. And we're going to take a break over Palm Sunday and Easter. But other than that, uh, it'll be, it should be on the website, hopefully. Stan, well, hopefully he and I will be able to communicate and we'll have the order. I'll make sure I get that to them. And so you can always check the, the website to know where, where you're supposed to be um, in, in the order of chapters. And the, uh, there's one other thing. For Christmas, the Sunday before Christmas, I'm actually going to jump ahead a chapter to the Christmas story. So that's the one, one time I'm going to go out of order. So again, we'll, I'll talk about that before we get there. And hopefully I'll communicate that with Stan and we'll have that on the website. So each week we're going to read that after I preach upon it. Uh, during the week, I'm also going to do my Digging Deeper Daily, and that's going to get into it more. But you know, the truth is, 
There is so much in every chapter. We're doing the whole Bible in 31 weeks, the whole, chap the whole Bible in 31 chapters. So there is no way that I can talk about the whole, the whole of that chapter in my sermon. And so that requires you even more to not only read it, maybe even read it a second time, maybe read it before I preach, and then read it after I preach, and, and really try to take it in. And then talk with other people, maybe one-on-one -on -one or in small groups. Get with other people. Talk about what you've read. Talk about what I've preached on. There's, there's questions at the end of the outline. There's an outline in the bulletin and questions at the end of the outline that'll help you work through it. Or maybe just process it yourself. Or maybe if you have a question, send me an email, right? Pastor, I didn't understand this. What about this? Or what about this? But the goal of, of going through the story over the next nine months is that we understand the Word of God in a way that impacts our life. This is a wonderful opportunity we have over the next nine months. So this morning, we're going to talk about creation, the fall, and the flood. And if you've already read the first chapter, you know that it talks a little bit about Abram's call. And we're going to push that to next week and get into that a little bit next week. So I love to read books. I don't know if you love to read books, but I love to read books. And I especially like books that grab your attention right at the beginning, right? That first page grabs your attention. Now, have you ever read like the first chapter, first two chapters? You, you just start getting bored and you just set that book aside and you grab another book, right? You want a story that grabs your attention. And I believe the Bible does this. The Bible grabs our story from the beginning of the story. You know, as I think about my own life, my own story, I might tell you right away, I was born at Torrance Memorial Hospital. Did you know that? I was born right here in Torrance Memorial Hospital. Really fun. I think it was fun. I was born, right? And I was born at 12.45 p.m., September 10th, 1961 to James and Elizabeth Logan. Interesting story. My mom had had a, a miscarriage right before me, and then she, she got pregnant with me. They, my uh, dad is James Donald Logan. My brother, who's older than me, is Jeffrey, Don, uh, Jeffrey Dean Logan. And my sister who's born after me is Jennifer Don Logan. And I'm Christopher Scott. <laughs> right? Is because my, they, didn't have a, they didn't, weren't ready for a name from me. And the nurse came and said to my mom, we need a name, we need a name, we need a name. So she said, God just gave her this name, Christopher Scott. My dad came back to the hospital and she said, we have a son, his name's Christopher Scott. <laughs> but you know what? My story and your story actually begins in the beginning of time. This is because when God created in the world, the, God created the world, he being all-knowing knew that one day you would be born and that I would be born. And God had this plan for us. He had a plan for our lives. We were not a surprise to God in any way. Our stories begin with the beginning of time. And so here we get to the very beginning, as, uh, as Arthur read for us. The beginning of the Bible starts off with these words. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. What powerful words. At some point in time, God, who is eternal, without beginning and without end, decided to create. He made the decision to create. And he created the heavens and the earth. What was not there, there was nothing. All of a sudden, it appeared, and there was something. From nothing, he created the heavens and the earth. It appeared out of nothing. 
Now, you and I can create, right? We can create a song or a poem, or maybe you've built something before, but we have materials, we have resources that we use to create these things, don't we? God created out of nothing. Nothing was there, boom, everything was there, right? God created the heavens and the earth. And at this point, the Bible has my attention. Because I'm interested, what did God create? Why did God create? Tell me more about this story. And as we read on, we get to the more of the story. Now, read the underlying part with me. Genesis 1-2. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit's hovering over the waters, hovering over the earth, ready to create more. And you, you get this sense of anticipation that a little bit's been created, but more is going to be created. And the subsequent verses tell us that day by day, God creates. He creates light and dark, from, to distinguish the light from the darkness. And he calls the light day, and he calls the darkness night. And then he creates the sky with the clouds, and he separates the, the sky from the waters. And he calls, and he uh, creates the, the ground around it, around the seas. And he calls the ground land, and he calls the, sea, or the water seas. And then he continues to create. He creates trees and plants. He creates the, the birds of the sky and, and the fish in the sea. No, notice my fish? Did anybody notice my fish tie? He created the fish in the sea, right? And the birds in the sky. And then he created all the land animals, right? And he created many kinds of plants and trees and, and bushes and, and birds and, and fish and, and land animals. He created so many different kinds of all these animals. And then he created, I think I went out of order a little bit, but he also created the sun and the stars, right? So that they could govern time. And then he remarked, after each day that he made these things, he remarked, it is good. He said, what fun God must have had making all these things. Could you imagine just creating all these things and then just sitting back and saying, yeah, that's good. I like that. I do good work, he says. Right? But God wasn't done. In fact, he was far from done. Because the reason why he created all things had yet to be created. We read in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, and read the yellow with me. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they're there, right, together. So that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky. We have all these things, but what's going to happen with them? We're going to create a being that's going to rule over all these things, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over the creatures that move along their ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are created in the image of God. And we have been put on this earth to enjoy the earth and to rule over it and to care for it. Now, I know in a lot of ways we're not doing a very good job of caring for it, are we? God created us to care for it so that it would last for many, 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 many years for us, right? It would provide for us in the way it needs to provide for us. And so we're called 
to govern over that, to enjoy this world. And then it says, after six days, God created all these things, and on the seventh day, God rested. This God who is eternal, this God who does not need rest, rested. Why? Because he wanted to give us an example of how we as a people should labor six days, but on the seventh day we should rest. Now, we'll talk about this more when we get to the Ten Commandments. But it's not just a rest for our bodies, which is important, but it's a rest so we could take the time to really be with God and rest in God. And then we get to chapter, uh, Genesis chapter 2. And in Genesis chapter 2, you, if you read through Genesis chapter 2 in the Bible, you will notice that it's actually kind of a, a creation story again. It's a repeating of the creation story, but it gives us more detail about the creations, especially more detail about the creating of man and the creating of woman and bringing them together to be married to each other, to be a support for one another. He created us male and female to be in a deep, committed relationship, helping one another. What a beautiful definition of marriage this is. About five years into Tammy and my marriage, we were living in Colorado. Tyler was only about one year old. And one day we get a knock on the door. And I open the door, it's a vacuum salesman. It wasn't Hoover, but there, there's, the Hoover was big for a long time. But it was, I don't even remember the brand name of it, but it was a fancy vacuum. And I don't know why, but I let him in my door. And I let him sit in my living room, and I let him talk to me. And you know, if you know anything about door-to-door salesmen, they work on commission. So they're motivated, right, to sell you what they have to sell. So he starts telling me about this vacuum. This vacuum has this, this base, this holder that's like indestructible metal, right? And then it has this, this uh, tube that is almost indestructible, too. You can stand on it, and it will still suck the dirt out. Right? You can suck up glass, and it's super powerful. In fact, it's one of those vacuums that, that sucks up the very fine dust particles. In, and of course, Tyler is one, and so he's saying, you have a little one that's crawling around. You need this vacuum, right? And so he's going on and on and on. He's like, this will make your life better, right? And so I bought the vacuum. <laughs> and you're, you're going to really be surprised at this, because he said, you know, he didn't get, of course, they don't get to the price till the end, right? He says, this vacuum was $1,500. Now it's only $750. Half off, what a deal. Now I also have to tell you that I had to promise Tammy I'd vacuum for the rest of our lives. <laughs> but there was more. He said, if you buy this vacuum today, you get a free weekend at a time resort. Really nice place. You get a free weekend. And I'm like, yeah, I like that. I was trying to calculate how much would it cost to go away for a weekend, right? Tammy, this is a good deal, right? Now, I tell you this story because we get to the next event which will change our world forever. We have the serpent who Satan, in the form of a certain, comes to Eve, and he is selling sin. But, of course, he doesn't come out and say that, does he? I mean, if he told Eve that he was selling sin, she wouldn't buy it, right? So the serpent comes Eve, and she encounters the serpent. And you read about it in Genesis 3. And we're told right off that the serpent was more crafty than any other creature God had created.
created. And he comes to her, and he, instead of telling her, oh, I want to sell you sin, he starts to say, you know, you're lacking something. Like I was lacking a vacuum, right? You're lacking something. You know, God is keeping something from you. There's a fruit that exists. And if you eat that fruit, you will have the knowledge of good and evil. And up to this point, they only knew good. They didn't know evil. You will have the knowledge of good and evil. You will be more like God than you are now. And he got her to desire what she didn't have. He got her to look at the fruit and think, that looks good. I think I want that. And so she took of the fruit and she ate. And she gave it to Adam and he ate. And sin came into the world. Now, before we condemn Eve too much, I want to read for you this, Romans 5.12. Read the underlined part with me. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Adam and Eve were there together, right? We hear Eve's name first. We hear about Eve. We, we want to put all the, the, the issue on Eve, like she's the one that didn't know. Adam was pretty much, many believe that Adam was standing right next to her. Yes, honey. Yes, honey. Yes, honey. Eat the fruit. Yes, honey. Okay, yes, honey. Right? They ate of it together. Together they ate of the fruit. Because of the two of them, sin came in the world. This is what we know as original sin, that all who are born are born into this original sin and have this propensity to sin because of one event. And then immediately we see the effects of sin happen. Adam and Eve cover themselves because they're like, we're naked. And they cover themselves. And then they hear God coming. And what do they do? They hide from God. Why do they hide? They've never hidden before. They hide because now they know good and evil. And they know that what they've done is evil. What they did was something that God told them not to do for their protection. But they did it anyway. And so they're hiding from God. Right? And then God finds them. And he asks them, what have you done? And then they play the blame game. Have you ever played the blame game? The blame game is when you blame someone else for something you've done. That person made me do this, right? You don't take responsibility for yourself. You blame someone else. And so Eve says, the serpent, that tricky little serpent, he tricked me. And this, that's why I did it. And Adam says, God, that woman you gave me, <laughs> she gave me the fruit, and, and that's why I ate it. Right? And they can't even take responsibility for their own actions, and we see sin at work. And then we get to even more of the consequences of sin, right? We get to Cain and Abel. We have the story of Cain bringing his offering one day. He didn't bring the correct offering. He didn't come with the right attitude. And so God says, I don't accept your offering. Now, at this point, Cain had a choice. He could have said, hmm, I brought the wrong offering. I came with the wrong attitude. I'm sorry, God. Let me go away. Let me get the right attitude. Let me get the right offering. Let me come back, and then I'll bring an offering to you, right? He could have done that. But he got angry because God had accepted Abel's offering. And so he got angry, and he got jealous of Abel. And that anger and that jealousy led him to ultimately kill Abel. The consequences of sin 
became great, didn't it? He killed his own brother out of anger and jealousy. And Cain was driven from his people, and ultimately Cain's people would become the enemies of God's people. Some of the most heart-wrenching stories that you've probably already seen in a movie or read in a book is when someone commits a sin, and then that sin leads to another sin, and it starts leading them down this path of sin, right? And they start making these bad choices until they get to the point to where their life is in ruins. You've ever seen a story like that? And you're, you're dying as you're watching the story. You're like, why are you making that choice? Don't. You're probably even yelling at the TV, right? Don't. Or the book. Don't make that. Why are you doing that? Why are you choosing her and not her? You know why, right? Why are you doing that? Genesis 4-7 tells us this. Read the underlying part with me. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? This is God speaking to Cain. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you. You must rule over it. God is warning Cain here. If you do what is right. Easier said than done sometimes, right? If you do what is right, then... Things will be good, right? Instead of saying, I'm sorry to our spouse, we say something harsh, something mean, right? And create this rift, create this greater argument. Instead of telling the truth, we are deceptive, or maybe even more, we lie. Instead of caring for someone who is in need, we walk the other way. Sin is crouching at your door. It desires you, but we must rule over it. And as we come to the story, we realize that the only way we can rule over our sin is by seeking God and resting in God and letting God's power work within us so that we can walk in the way that God has for us to walk. It's only by giving ourselves fully over to God that we can live for God and that we can avoid the sin that is crouching at our door waiting to get us. But the people don't do this. And we read in the story that sin increases and increases and gets worse and gets worse. And then we read in verse, verses 5 to 8 of Genesis chapter 6. Read the yellow with me. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. You see how sin had increased, where it had gotten to. Wickedness. Every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was evil. That's how far they allowed themselves to progress in their sin. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe away from the face of the earth the human race, I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along their ground. For I regret that I have made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Think back to elementary school. Probably one of the worst times for a kid in elementary school is recess or, or lunchtime, right? And you go out and you're going to play a game, right? And there's two captains and they start choosing, right? And you're like, choose me, choose me, choose me, right? And they're like picking all these people and you're standing there waiting for, choose me, choose me, right? And they're not choosing you, right? Who are they choosing? They're choosing the popular kids, right? They're choosing the, the athletic kids. They're choosing those who are, are, are going to help them win the game, right? 
And so then we, we feel inadequate. We feel like our self-worth is, is not there. You know, this is not how God chooses. God doesn't choose by saying, hmm, who's better? Who's more capable? Who's more athletic? Who's the most popular? Who's the most successful? Like, no, God chooses by those who are faithful. God looks at it and says, who is faithful to me? Who is seeking me? And God saw Noah, and God saw Noah's family, and he said, these are those who have been faithful in the midst of all that's going on around them. They're still seeking me. They're still faithful. Isn't that challenging in our world, right? We live in a world where there's so many people that are not living faithful to God. They're, they're living sinful lives. And maybe we might be pulled that way from time to time. And in the midst of all that, God says, are you going to stay faithful to me? Are you going to stay faithful to me? And he sees Noah and his family, and they're faithful to God. And he chooses them. And he explains to them what he's going to do. Noah, you're going to build the ark. And on this ark, your family and the animals, we're going, to, we're going to repopulate the world, right? We're going to kind of re, do a restart, right? Just like a video game, right? Ah, that didn't go so well. Restart. Right? And what's interesting about this story is that Noah's calling out to the people, turn from your sinful ways, turn back to God, come onto the boat. And the people are laughing at Noah, laughing at his family. You're a fool, they say. Why are you building a boat? It's not even raining. Oh, it's going to flood the earth. Ah, no, it's not going to. You're crazy. God gave people a chance to come to him. But they ignored the warning. They ignored the God who had created them. They ignored the call of Moses to come. It's a profound story. Now, there's so much more to this story. In fact, there's more to all of those stories but I just wanted to highlight this morning for you some amazing things that we talked about, right? We covered so much material, and yet you probably feel like, wow, he, he barely covered anything, right? We covered the creation, how God created all things. We covered the fall, right? How sin came into the world. We talked about the effects of that sin, how it has impacted us now. Even up to now, it still impacts us. We talked about the flood. We talked about God's plan for redemption, right? God's plan for redemption was started from the moment that sin came into the world. Genesis 3.15. God is talking to the serpent as he's giving the punishments for each one. You all did wrong, okay? Adam, Eve, serpent. He gets to the serpent, he says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. What this is talking about is that when Jesus came, he already said, okay, the Son of God, you're going to go to the earth and you're going to redeem our people. And when Satan saw Jesus be crucified, he thought he won a victory. He thought he won the victory. I have killed the Son of God. But that was God's plan, the redemption of his people, paying the price for our sins. And when he was resurrected from the dead... That was a crushing blow, right? If someone strikes you on the heel, it's probably going to hurt, but it's going to heal. But if someone crushes someone's head, that is a deadly blow. And the resurrection was a deadly blow to Satan because through Christ's death and resurrection, we are promised resurrection with Christ so that we might live eternally with God in heaven. In Christ, we have that promise of salvation, that promise of redemption. And God took care of that right at the beginning of time, right when sin came into the world. And so, 
I just uh, throw this out to you and just say, as we've talked about these things, I mean, there is some really powerful and deep things here. I encourage you to reread your chapter and read it over again. I encourage you to, to talk with your spouse or talk with your family or talk with a friend. I encourage you to get it with someone or get it together a small group and talk about these things. Because as we go along chapter by chapter by chapter, as we talk about them, we'll get more into our heart, more into our life as we process them together. Some really powerful, wonderful things in our scripture this morning, yes? Let's pray.